You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 106th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I will be discussing different statuses of relationships, single, dating, committed and married, and ethical non-monogamy, while talking about some best practices for each. I don't have any gimmicks. I don't have any tips. I don't have any manipulations that are going to help you get the guy or the girl. It's just straight up good practices for healthy relationships. There's so many dating and relationship experts out there. When I Google dating experts, my search yields 173 million results, while relationship expert nets no less than 4,900,000,000 entries. What I have found when I look at many of them is that they have their tried and true way of, quote, getting the guy or, quote, getting the girl. The problem is their way may work for them when they are pursuing a particular type of person, but will never be foolproof. There are just too many variables. At the risk of sounding just like them, I have my own list of things to do, but not to win the person you're interested in. Dating and relationships are not a contest to win, but rather a journey, a search for someone you believe you could go to a movie, have dinner with, or perhaps make a life with. And because there are two variables, you and the other person, you must both agree you find each other interesting or nothing will happen. How will you find a person that suits you if everyone is following someone else's recipe about how to get the other person? You would be working outside your comfort zone, doing things that don't come naturally for you and may even contradict the person you want to be. Whenever someone puts themselves out there as a relationship or dating expert, people want to know their experience. So let me tell you mine. I've lived 61 years here on the planet and I have been miserable dating, happy dating, happily married and frustrated while married to the same person. And since then, happy in a relationship, unhappily single, and most recently, very happily single. I'm no longer looking for a partner to share my life. I'm perfectly happy on my own. And if someone happens to find me because I'm not looking, that's interesting to me, I will date them. If over time they display the things I value in a relationship and he finds the same with me, then we will develop an exclusive relationship. I have no interest in remarrying at this point in my life, but I wouldn't mind having a partner to live out the last third of my life with for us to witness each other's lives. If he is a person that adds to my life and I add to his, but enough about me, let's talk about you. If you're still listening, you might be willing for me to share some of the things I've learned working with many, many, many clients on relationships. Let's start with being alone. Some people don't do well alone because someone has convinced them they're not whole without a partner. This is simply not true. The best relationships are forged when two whole people find each other and create a full, even bigger life together than they had apart. When you're alone, it's important to distinguish between being lonely and being alone. Being alone carries no stigma, shame, or longing. 
It simply describes your current state of being. I live alone and often travel alone, so alone is something I often am. However, I'm never lonely. Should you find you are, the first thing to do is examine whether you're comfortable alone. And if you aren't, dig into that to discover the reason or reasons why not. The second is get to know your likes and dislikes better. Discover things to like about yourself. If I come across someone that I really don't like, I often say in my head, I don't like you very much, so I must need to get to know you better so that I can find something that we have in common, something I can respect, something I can actually really like about you. You need to do the same thing with yourself. When was the last time you spent time thinking about who you really are and what you like and don't like, what's important to you, what isn't, what you value, what you don't? Those are things that when you know yourself better, you'll like yourself better. The third thing is engage in self-care. When you care about someone or something, you tend to take care of it. You do things that would maintain that thing. If you care about yourself, if you like yourself, self-care should be right at the top of your list. That should be the thing you do every single day to maintain yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself as you walk through the world. Number four is make a list of what you want in your next relationship, including your non-negotiables. You want to make a list of the things that would be great and important to have in a relationship. You can then have some things that would be nice if they existed in your relationship, but they're not real important. And finally, spend a good bit of time thinking about what exactly are your non-negotiables. These are the things that you will not compromise on. If a person you're interested in violates one of your non-negotiables, it's time to end that relationship as it is. You can stay friends with that person. You can continue to socialize with that person. But someone who violates your non-negotiables is not someone that you want to have as a close, intimate person in your life. Because of that, you don't want to have a laundry list of non-negotiables. I think if you have three to five, that's about the range you want to sit in. Less than three means you'll go for anything. And more than five tells me that you may not really be interested in a relationship because you're trying to disqualify a lot of people. Once you have your list made, the fifth step is to look in the mirror to see if you're the person that your fictitious person would want to be with. If you aren't that person, then you have a decision to make. You could keep wanting someone who likely isn't going to come into your life the way you want. You could lower your criteria, or you could grow and improve yourself to genuinely become the person your fictitious person would want. We're really good at figuring out what we want, but we don't really give a lot of thought to, would the other person be attracted to the person I am right now today? This is very different from turning yourself into a person your partner can like because you don't have a partner yet. You're not trying to make yourself a person for someone else. You're trying to transform yourself into the person you want to be so that you can attract the quality of relationship that you're looking for. If you aren't that person yet, then there's no shame or harm in being alone while you figure that out. You want to take your time and do the work, 
do the self-discovery, the self-transformation to turn yourself into the person that would attract the person that you really want in your life. Let's assume that you make the decision to grow yourself, to become more of the person you want to be. Okay, so now you've done the work and you move into dating. Dating can be messy between online dating, blind dates set up by friends and family, and people you just meet and consider dating. Meeting new people can be exhilarating. It can be fun. It can be exciting. But it can also be exhausting and even terrifying. There's a reason I don't call myself a dating expert. I don't particularly like dating. If I could just skip the dating and go right to the relationship part, I'd be happy. I'm not that great at dating, but I hope you're better than me. But here's some things that I know from my clients and the work that I've done in the dating arena. There's a lot to negotiate in dating, all while trying to put your best foot forward. You want your partner to like you, so you're bringing your best self to that relationship. But you need to explore things like what type of food do you like? What does your date like? What things do you like to do together? How about your date? What do they like to do? What type of friends do each of you have? And that's just a very beginning list. There are so many things you're going to be talking about, negotiating, working out as you determine if you have enough in common to maybe take this a step further. If either of you have trust issues from prior experiences, this can play out in suspicion, jealousy, insecurity, anxiety, depression, and anger. Dating is important. We shouldn't really joke about skipping dating because it's where you get the clues whether someone can be relationship material for you. The only way I know to get through those dating challenges is to love yourself. When you love yourself, you'll, number one, love with an open heart, regardless of past hurts. A new person in front of you deserves to be trusted from the beginning. When they show you evidence that you can trust them to not be trustworthy, then you may want to draw some boundaries. But in the beginning, open yourself up. Be vulnerable. The second thing is stay true to your non-negotiables. Always, always, always do not violate your non-negotiables. That's the beginning of losing yourself in a relationship. If someone that you're with violates your non-negotiables, it's time to make the hard decision to end that relationship. That's why they call it a non-negotiable. We can't negotiate this. An example of a non-negotiable for me is if you physically hurt me intentionally, I'm gone. You hit me, slap me, pinch me, push me, shove me, anything like that, you don't get a second chance. Non-negotiable. Number three, be your authentic self by not losing yourself in the relationship, attempting to be the person your date wants you to be instead of who you really are. Because you want to please your partner, because you want them to like you, you'll often change things about yourself to fit in more with what you think they want. Before you know it, you've eroded the essence of yourself to a place that you don't even recognize who you are in this relationship. The fourth thing, recognize when someone perpetrates things against you, such as lying, cheating when they've committed to monogamy, or gaslighting. This is their flaw not yours. 
You may not know it right up front, but over time it will become apparent, especially if you don't keep making excuses for that behavior. You know what you want, and once you recognize your current partner isn't that, you would have no trouble moving on. Number five is end the relationship when you start to no longer like the person you have become in that relationship. I once dated a person who wanted exclusivity and I suspected that he was not exclusive. There were signs, but he insisted that he was. So I decided to give him time to show me who he really is. And sure enough, he did. There was evidence that was indisputable that there was another woman in his apartment prior to me. And once I realized that, I knew that he was not the person I wanted to be with. And it had nothing to do with the infidelity because I didn't need to be exclusive with him. It had to do with the fact that he lied and tried to manipulate me into being monogamous while he was doing everything but... Love yourself more than you love the other person. Be willing to end the relationship when it no longer serves you. When you love yourself first and foremost, you will not place yourself or stay in relationships that are harmful to you. You don't fear being alone because you know who you are and you enjoy your own company. You know you're complete as you are and you don't need someone else to make you whole. Being part of a couple is a preference, not a necessity, so you're able to survive the end of a relationship that no longer serves you. When you're in a committed relationship, whether dating, living together, or married, there is more of a commitment than just casual dating. This often means you've agreed to be exclusive, monogamous, or at least to prioritize each other as your main relationship. When you make a commitment to the relationship, it's as if becoming a living, breathing entity. There are three things to consider in these relationships. One is what you want. Another is what your partner wants. And third is what's best for the relationship. You want to consider your relationship as a separate thing apart from each of you individually. When you're committed to the relationship, it means you're willing to prioritize what's best for the relationship above your own individual needs a majority of the time. No one can do that all the time. There will be times when you selfishly want what you want, and it doesn't matter if that's good for the relationship. But if that happens too often, then you're not really in a committed relationship. This can get tricky when you think about how you can measure this. Because choice theory psychology is at the foundation of everything I do, I know it's rare to have a relationship where one person doesn't look like they are prioritizing the relationship better than the other one. This can lead to resentment. People with high connection needs naturally prioritize relationships. It's in their DNA. Relationships are what motivates them, so they tend to be excellent about placing them above their own individual needs, sometimes going too far and then resenting their partner for it. People with high significance needs will look like they're prioritizing their work or other places where they believe they have an impact to make a difference. People with a high freedom need can find it more challenging to prioritize relationships because their motivation comes from having lots of choices, independence, and time alone. When you look at who's putting more into a relationship, it's not equitable without taking these fundamental differences into consideration. 
For example, the freedom person who's able to prioritize their committed relationship needs to put much more effort into doing that 30% of the time, while their connection partner can do that 99% of the time with ease. The best thing is when you stop complaining to your partner and check in with yourself to see if you are prioritizing the relationship to the extent it's important for you to do so for the health of the relationship. Are you prioritizing it enough? Are you prioritizing it too much? When you prioritize the relationship, it doesn't mean that you give up what you want to provide your partner what they want. That is the path to martyrdom. You think about what you want in a given situation, consider what your partner wants, and then make the decision you believe is best for the relationship, which consists of both of you. This will require communication and a mindset of working together to craft an option that works for both of you when possible and improves the relationship by going through that process. If you are over-prioritizing your relationship, it puts serious pressure on your partner. And sometimes it may be smothering to your partner. So you want to think about, yes, the relationship is important to me, but don't forget about the other things that are also important, like socializing with your friends or engaging in a project that your partner has no interest in. Over-prioritizing can be just as unhealthy to a relationship as not prioritizing enough. Different relationships need different things. You need time pressure, and communication to figure those things out. Don't assume all relationships need the same thing. You likely know what you need, but you'll want to better understand what your partner needs so you can both figure out what will work the best for your relationship. When I surveyed 100 happy couples for my book, Secrets of Happy Couples, the people I surveyed spoke of four things that contribute to their relationship happiness. One was effective communication. I always use the word effective because there's plenty of dysfunctional relationships that use a lot of communication, but it isn't very effective. Number one is effective communication. Number two is monogamy. I'll talk a little bit later about ethical non-monogamy, but the couples I surveyed listed monogamy as one of the things that made their relationship good. The third one was being accountable to something bigger than their individual selves. They were either accountable to a higher power or they made the relationship their higher power and what they were accountable to. And the fourth thing, which I think may be the most important, is complete acceptance of their partner as they are without trying to change them. Typically, relationships that don't last are relationships where The partner does not accept the other and is spending a lot of time and energy trying to get them to be different. Complete acceptance of your other person in your life just the way they are is really the most important thing you can do for the health of your relationship. And if you accept the person for exactly who they are, and in doing so, you recognize they're not really the person you want to have in your life as your intimate partner, stop trying to change them and move on to find someone else who will fit what you are looking for. Stop trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I would ask you to think about how long have you been trying to get this person to do things your way? And then ask yourself if you're willing to wait and how much longer you're willing to wait. If you've been waiting five years, are you willing to wait another five? I hope not. 
Because people don't change because you want them to. People don't change because you exert pressure on them. They may cave to the pressure, it's true, but they're not really changing. They're just giving you what you want when you're around. They haven't made any real changes to who they are. People change when they recognize that changing is in their best interest. And if you're going to try to punish them into that, there will be a deep resentment of you. I like to talk about something a little bit more controversial these days. During the past decade, the U.S. has seen a rise in the number of people who are choosing ethical non-monogamy for their relationships, which means agreeing to have consensual intimate relationships with more than one person. Everyone involved understands what's happening and has agreed to the circumstances. That's what makes it ethical. There's no lying. There's no sneaking around. There's no gaslighting. It's just, this is the way that it is. I care about you. I want to be intimate with you. And I have other people in my life that I also want to be intimate with. Is that acceptable to you? And would you like to have that kind of relationship for yourself? I did some research to find out how commonplace this is and found that four to five percent of the people in the United States are currently practicing ethical non-monogamy. And at least 20 percent of the people in the United States have had an ethically non-monogamous relationship. Before you judge, know that the studies have shown that people in ethical non-monogamous relationships and monogamous relationships report similar relationship satisfaction. So there's no difference in satisfaction between those who are monogamous and those who are ethically non-monogamous. The thing that makes non-monogamous relationships challenging is when the ethical part is missing. People lose trust in their partner And when you lose trust in your partner, you've basically lost a significant part of that relationship. If you're being honest with each other and with all the other people involved, then it's a different experience. Ethical non-monogamy can be practiced in casual dating, polyamory, or open relationships. From a counseling or coaching perspective, the thing I appreciate most about ethical non-monogamy is that everyone is fully informed about what's happening. There are no secrets or lies involved and all have made a consensual decision about being in this relationship. Studies have actually shown there's better communication between people in ethical non-monogamous relationships. There almost needs to be better communication. There are things you can do to be responsible in your ethical non-monogamy. If this is new to you, take it slow with your partner if you're broaching the subject for the first time. Use a condom or other barrier protection during sex. You do not want to be sexually transmitting diseases between you and your sexual partners. Be upfront and honest with all partners, even if you fear the loss of the relationship. Be careful with your partner's emotions. If you find someone wants out of this relationship, doesn't feel good about it, is experiencing some painful emotions, take the time to work through those with your partner and listen to and try to understand the experiences of the people you're involved with because their experiences may be very different from your own and adjust if necessary. Take a moment to look at what all of these relationship statuses have in common. You always bring yourself to any type of relationship you're in. Your job is first to learn to love yourself so you're able to extend that love to others. 
You need to develop clarity on the kind of person you want to be and live your life and your relationships as that person. Don't let someone you're in a relationship with turn you into someone you don't recognize. Be unbending in your non-negotiables while at the same time being willing to be flexible with everything else. When I say be unbending on your non-negotiables, I don't mean that you have to hate the person who breaks your non-negotiable. So often people come to me, their relationship ends, and they're feeling this fiery hatred towards their partner for something they did or didn't do. When I say be unbending, I mean stop investing your time and energy in that relationship as your exclusive intimate relationship. When someone breaks your non-negotiable, you can stay friends with them. You can continue to hang out with them, but you just don't want to be exclusive with that person because they've shown you they're not the person you want to have that exclusivity with. Prioritize your committed relationship over your own individual needs a majority of the time and be honest about what you want with the people you're involved with. I started by letting you know that I didn't have any gimmicky do's and don'ts for relationships because there's too many factors to consider to develop something that works for everyone. However, over my many years of helping people with relationships, these are the best practices I recommend. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing dating expert, Dr. Vic. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.